think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right, welcome back to the Take and Read podcast. I am here with my ever-growing friend, <laughs> Howard Me. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. <laughs> if you don't know the root of that joke, you can go back maybe six weeks on the podcast, six episodes. I'm still growing. And uh, I made a, a comment about Howard's friendship, that we are growing closer as friends, but it didn't come out that way. came out as you are an ever-growing friend, and so... You re- you receive that as a weight comment. Well, I, I have big shoulders. I can take it. <laughs> Double pun intended. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and we're hanging out. I'm actually hanging out in uh, Howard's living room. So I got to take the show on the road a little bit. So we're hanging out at the Me House. And uh, how are you doing? Good. Good? Yeah, we're good. Life's pretty normal. Yeah, when you say life is normal, what does normal look like for, for you guys? Um, by normal, I mean, we don't have basketball season or theater season. So schedule is church and work and meeting, meeting other people, but yeah, not a heavy load of extras. And when you say meeting other people, you made a comment when we were off air that it sounds like you and, and your wife have made an intentional decision that part of the culture of your marriage and your family is that you meet new people and you engage new people. What's behind that? Well, the, the new people part is all Anna. Okay. Cause she's nice. <laughs> she's friendly. <laughs> yeah. People like to visit with her cause she's kind and she cares about people. And so that's, that's the new people part. But the, the busy part of normal is, you know, pre-marriage counseling and meeting with friends that are struggling and meeting with friends that just need to visit and, you know, small groups and on and on. Did you, I mean, is this a, an actual conversation that you guys had at some point in your marriage that, Hey, we want to be about other people. Yeah, we did actually. Okay. Tell me about that. I I know that's like the churchy answer I'm supposed to say, but we really did. No, I'm, I'm serious. I don't think, I think that that's an extremely abnormal thing for a couple to sit down, whether it's early in their married life or late, to talk about what's the what are some things that we're committed to as a couple, as a married couple or our family? What are our commitments? Like what do we want to prioritize when we have time and we have, you know, school and work and we have all the stuff that, that fills it up. What do we do with the other time? And I don't know that people are very intentional with that. And so I'm curious to see how does that conversation happen? Yeah, we were we were brand new married, like first year of marriage. We were in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's where we started our marriage. And we just, we just literally were visiting and we both agreed that we wanted our life to matter. We wanted it to count for something. Hmm. Like we were talking with a couple last night. Most people know the names of their grandparents, maybe great grandparents, but probably less than 1% could give you the names beyond that. Hmm. And our life is just a vapor. It doesn't, you're here for a moment and you're gone. Yeah. So if we want our life to count, if we want it to matter for something in, a, in an eternal way, 
you know, I'm not going to build an empire, you know? Right. So how do, how do we make our lives matter and count? And we've chose to just invest in people. And it's, it's always been that way for us. It's just normal. Was that fueled by kind of concluding that independently on your own? Were you driven to that by scripture? I think there's a few things at that time. I, I think it should be just be the normal course of the Christian life, but I had a huge personal revival type moment when I realized I was going to be responsible for a wife as a husband. Mm. I was like, whoa. And then, you know, right after that, two years later, whatever, we had Gracie and like, we're responsible for another human. Whoa. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was back to back kind of, I need to take this a lot more seriously because there's other people who are counting on me and my life is going to affect who they are and how they see Jesus. So it was was new marriage, new relationships, new kids just sort of drove us into the word. And in that process, we're like, we're not going to leave this world without making a difference. Yeah. And that's how we do it or chose to do it. Yeah. I mean, you think about the scriptures indicate God's word indicates there's two things that are eternal. You have, we're told that, the word of God yeah. will always be. And so investing yourself in the word of God is something that will last. And then the souls of humans yeah. that we will live on, like we are eternal. Everything else will burn. Everything else will be destroyed and there will be a new heavens or a new heaven, new earth. And everything here is gone. So investing in eternal things, that seems like just from a worldly perspective, that yeah. seems wise. Yeah. Which is a really good thing because I don't invest financially very well. <laughs> so we got to balance it. I got to get some good investment in that somewhere. empire that you're not building. <laughs> that's yeah, <right>. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, that's cool. Um, have has your as your marriage has been focused on that and prioritized relationships and meeting people and engaging with folks? Has that translated into the lives of your kids? Are they? Do you see them making that a priority or are they on board with that or? They're on board with it probably because they don't know any different. That's just the right. way they've lived. Like this is, I mean, it, it's it's coming off sounding like maybe it's more than it is, but that's just how we live our life. We live it with people right? and we, we keep our circle. It grows, you know? Yeah. So for our kids, they're, they're used to that mm-hmm. as far as their part of investing in it. Each one's different um, just personality wise, but I do see that for sure. Like Jordan's a senior this year. So he's seen that as high schoolers get towards the end of the senior year, their small groups start to taper off. Mm-hmm. They get busy. Church isn't a priority. So he told us, he's like, I don't want that to happen to my group. Yeah. So they had a, six or eight kids over here the other night for seven hours <laughs> chili and bonfire and candy and yeah so that's super cool and, and diff, they're all different but but they do see it for them it's not you didn't sit down and have a a dinner table conversation okay here's what we're about as a family they just it's the it's the atmosphere they grew up in so they don't that's just what they're that's the smell they are used yes. to smelling Yes. We have had conversations, but not that intentional. It's like, right. 
we're having people over again, or we're going to, so we have our adult small group mm-hmm. and then there's the high school small group and now maybe a new married small group. <laughs> so they're like, yeah. we have, we're going to small group again this Thursday or whatever. And if they have a bad attitude or they have something going on, they get the like, Hey, let's remember. Mm-hmm. You know? So never like a family formal sit down. But every once in a while, there's a like, there's yeah, a, little a little check reminder. on it. Yeah, like this is why it's important to us and why yeah. we're going to make the time. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Uh, we are still in the Book of Acts since you were last year. We're not making. No way. You haven't covered all. I know, right? Twenty, thirty. I'm people? telling you, we're going to be here for a couple of years. That's how I feel about it. Uh, we are in Acts chapter eight. The last uh, couple of episodes, we you were actually with me when we started no you weren't there for i missed all of steven yeah so we've covered steven and kind of the aftermath of steven so we've left off at the beginning of acts chapter eight where steven has now been executed by stoning and they take his garments lay them at the foot of a young man named saul we then learn about saul in the beginning of the book of Acts or chapter eight and he's ravaging the church. He's persecuting the church. He is dragging men and women out of their households and putting them in prison. And so this this kind of persecution becomes this mechanism by which God scatters yep. the disciple or the believers. So the believers are now scattered specifically to the regions of Judea and Samaria. And that's a that's a fulfilling of what Christ told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So this is happening, and it's through the mechanism of persecution that God is accomplishing what he told his disciples. And so we're going to pick up in verse 4, and we're going to read through 13. So uh, we're going to cover a little, a, a very particular kind of storyline about the gospel going into Samaria and the effects that that has. So uh, I'm reading out of the ESV today. How about yourself? Uh, Yeah, same. Okay, cool. Uh, Yep, that's what I got. All righty. So here we are. We actually, uh, Howard and I took some time. I think it's important to pray as you engage in the scriptures. It is it is meant to be conversational. So as we engage in the scriptures, we first have talked to the Lord, he talks back, and then it's just kind of this ongoing dialogue. And so I think it's important for everybody as they get ready to encounter God's word to consult the author of the text first. So we've done that, and now we're going to jump in, starting in verse four of Acts chapter eight. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 
Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Cool. Wow. There's some interesting things. I think first, I don't know what questions stand out to you, but first I think it would be important to recognize what's the big deal about Samaria? Like, why is that a thing? Is that just a a neighboring region, or is there some sort of backstory that would probably be pertinent to There's a little bit understand? of backstory. Yeah. So your recollection of Samaria and its backstory, what would you say to fill in the blanks there? Um, it was a portion of the kingdom that had been divided, that whose um, the DNA of Abraham had been polluted, I think is how the Jews would, would think of it. Like they were marrying other humans that weren't Jews, and so they weren't considered full Jews. Right. And so there's a a stigma associated with them because of their their bloodlines and their limited access to the scripture. Like I think most of the people in Samaria held to the Pentateuch. Right. But missed the rest. And so that's sort of like the, you know, the Jews use the phrase, like the Gentiles were dogs, right? So the Sumerians are sort of like dogs. They're like yep. less than, they're low life. Like you can, you can hang out with some sinners as long as they're not Samaritans. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're, you're right. There's a sense of, I don't know if polluted, um, but a, a diluted version of mm-hmm. Jewish culture religion, um, heritage. Uh, there's a, a sense in which they have, they would think their worship is, they're worshiping like Abraham, that their, their worship is in line, but it's, it is this kind of, they're missing major pieces of it and Mm -hmm. it's not in fullness and it's diluted. Well, you can see their, the Jewish view of the Samaritans in the story of the good Samaritan. Yep. He wasn't good at all. He literally just did what a good human would do. And it was shocking to them. Right, because they expected would come from a less Samaritan. than human behavior yeah. from... Yeah, because yeah. you, you see how he takes care of the guy on the side of the road, takes him in, provides for him financially, says to continue to take care of him. That was like the minimum required. But in that time, it was... We, we see it as going above and beyond because no one else was willing to do it. Mm-hmm. And then you think about uh, the woman at the well. Uh-huh. There, Jesus intentionally determines to go through the region of Samaria, encounters this Samaritan woman at a well. And so disciples, when they come back, they're in town or whatever, they come back and they see him talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman. Mm-hmm. And even from their dialogue, you pick up on some nuances of misunderstanding. Cultural tension. Yeah, cultural tension, misunderstanding about worship and the temple and where things are supposed to happen. And yet, clarity about the Messiah, like he witnesses to her. He he shares the truth of who he is to a Samaritan woman. So to a certain degree, the gospel has already gone to Samaria to some level. Mm -hmm. So it's not their... It's not completely foreign uh, concept, right. but I think that helps. I think that helps. Okay. What else do you see 
maybe just if we break down the, the two sections. So you have this first section, four through eight. And Philip, we don't get we don't hear a lot about Philip. Like we understand he's one of the apostles. Uh-huh. And there's kind of there's only a handful of stories about Philip and his ministry, but here he is uh faithfully going. So it's almost like a we have this beginning in verse or in verse one, right? That the they're scattered. They were all scattered throughout the region of Samaria except the apostles. Right. Then you have Philip going to Samaria. Yep. So it, we all have our hobby horse, Chad. Yeah. So you know right what I'm going to talk about first. Okay, go. Like, so those now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Like they're scattered. There's pressure, like that's inevitable. That's what happened. But what they did when they were scattered was preach. Mm-hmm. Should that to me that says a lot. Like it doesn't. There's a lot of things they could have done when they were scattered, mm-hmm. but as they went, they went preaching. Like if I'm going to be scattered and and driven from my home because of persecution, I'm going to focus on survival. Uh huh. Food, yeah. water, income, <laughs> shelter, shelter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so I, th- so I, th- I think that's cool. Yeah. That that's what they were doing. Yeah. And then a little foreshadowing for the second half. Well, I'll save it. Yeah. And, well, and it's a, again, it goes back to that Acts chapter one, verse eight, that he, he Jesus gives them a clarity on where they're going to go and what they're going to do. You will be my witnesses and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So they've got, he was very specific. Like when you go places and when you're spread out, when you're scattered, this is who you are. You are a witness. That means you're going to bear testimony to the truth of who I am. And so that's what they're doing. That's right. That's what they're doing. So that's pretty cool, like you said. Uh, anything that stands out in the in the way that he is witnessing, in the way that he is preaching, or what accompanies the preaching? Crowds uh, with one accord. So there's this kind of sense in which there's this crowd that are together and intently focused on what was being said by Philip. Mm -hmm. So there's what he's saying. Right. So he's speaking the truth of Christ. And then when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Yes. Okay. Go. Just go. go. Okay. So he he has this amazing sign. The unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many of them, um, and many were paralyzed and lame were healed. Amazing. Preaching and miracles. Yep. Then he runs into the dude named Simon. Yep. And it says, verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing the signs, etc. What 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 got them to believe wasn't the miracles. So in verse uh, in the top half, in verse six, it was the preaching and the signs. But in verse 11, they paid attention to him because for a long time he'd amazed them with his magic. And then when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom. So there's obviously value in them doing miracles, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't what saved them or won their hearts. That wasn't what created believers. And I think because that's my hobby horse, I've declared for the episode preaching. 
Yeah. That's what won the day. Yeah. And I think what you're going to find to further your point, the presence of signs and wonders throughout the book of Acts, if it's not anything else, what you see is every time. So, man, I keep going to this, the, the outline of the book of Acts is chapter one, verse eight. Mm-hmm. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And when the gospel goes to these, as it emanates out of Jerusalem, and people outside of the Jews are included in this thing called the church, in the and they're receiving the gospel, and new people groups are added, you see accompanying signs and wonders and I think that that directly illustrates that what's happening in these incredible demonstration, supernatural demonstrations of God is he is endorsing the inclusion of these people. He's saying they're included, and as a point of affirmation, mm-hmm. you're going to see incredible, miraculous signs and wonders occur, indicating that this is God's endorsement on what's happening here. And that becomes really prominent when Paul starts going, who we haven't met Paul yet. He's still Kind of. He's still Saul. But when he goes around and there's there's preaching to the Gentiles, and then Peter, when Peter receives the vision, has some indication that now Gentiles are a part of this thing, which was a big step for them, there is this argument that happens in Jerusalem— and one of the things that Peter says is they receive the Holy Spirit just like we did. Right. And all of a sudden it's like, oh. Now it makes sense. Okay. Well, now they're in the club. They're in. Because this this endorsement, this stamp of approval, this presence of God in them is unmistakable. Right. And so I think that's why as we see this, as we move through the book of Acts, we see signs and wonders are not in order to cause belief. It's validation. It's validation yep. for everyone who already believes, oh, they're included now. Yep. Well, there's that, the verse, Jews require a sign, but Greeks seek after wisdom. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, speaking in, in broad terms, God used signs to validate his messengers. When he speaks to Moses, there's this crazy burning bush. When Moses shows up to Pharaoh, we see these amazing ten, ten plagues, and on and on it goes. So when the apostles come out and they're like, no, this is the Messiah that we've been talking about and waiting for, and their message is accompanied with these signs, mm-hmm. for the Jews, they're like, okay, that's legit. That's where that comes from. Yep. So it's a, it's a validation of the message and the messenger. Yep. That's how I see it. Yeah, I think it's spot on. But what's... But what's crazy is he had this good Simon practicing magic, and the people in the city were also amazed. Yes. And he doesn't have the message. No, he, he doesn't have the, the message. Magic. He has the magic. Yes. And they're amazed. But the, I think it's just powerful, and it shows you the power of the gospel, that he then is one of those that's listening, and he's hearing Philip preach the good news about the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men, women, even Simon himself believed. Yeah. So he was in the audience, and he's now, he recognizes the message is more than the magic. Yeah. And he's like, 
I want to be about that up until this point. So then it makes you wonder, okay, what's happening is the message is coming in. Philip's preaching the good news. And at the same time, this, the authority of Christ is being heard and recognized, which means the authority of the demons is no longer value, right. you know, valid. So there's this driving out unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So you see the gospel come in, and it's almost, it's like expelling these unclean spirits and these this false lame authority that's been demonstrated. And so they're like, almost like they're oozing out because they can't handle it. So they're oozing out and they're being driven out and expelled. And so then even we have to conclude that that Simon has been exercising this magic by way of demonic yeah. possession. Like he is he is being being used by the demons, by darkness to create this magic and this false following, but even the power of the gospel is what eventually draws him in. Yes. To being a believer. I think when we look back on this era of the church, we like how cool would it be to be there in verse 7 when the uns, unclean spirits cried out with a loud voice and came out? Like That would be really cool. And to watch lame, the paralyzed and the lame be healed. That's very alluring and intriguing. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of like, man, I wish that I could see that. I wish I could participate in that. I understand that. But if we shake our heads clear, you know, take a good sip of strong coffee and remember who we are and what we're about, it's the gospel that wins the day. Yep. So he's he's amazed they're changed, not because of the flashy, cool stuff, but the, the simple message of the gospel. Do you think, I think it would be easy to read this and wonder is there that level of are demons as prevalent today as they were at this time in the places where the gospel has not gone? Have we talked about this before? No. You're like, because I'm smiling? Yeah. <laughs> no. Man, I... Yeah. And I, do we just call it other things? Do we... I, yeah. I have super strong opinions, and I don't know if you want me to go there. I, I, think, I think it's worth the conversation because I think other people are wondering it. I think we demons are a hundred percent active in real and yeah. present, and we tend to think. And I, I don't. I'm not. I feel like I'm like knocking you down and backing the bus over you here, but that's not what I mean. Like I, I have this mindset, and we tend to think that it's more prevalent in third world countries. And I think it's just more visible in third world countries. Satan is very active and his demons, I think, are incredibly active in America right now. I think there's a couple different issues. I think one, they're not as necessary to distract us because we're distracted by other things. Mm. And number two, I think a lot of the time we medicate when it's spiritual. Mm. And so it never actually gets dealt with the human is subdued and so the symptoms are less visible and i'm not saying everything that's not what i'm saying right like not everything that's medicated is spiritual but they're casting out demons all the time Mm -hmm. they were very active and i think it would be naive to think that that's not still the case yeah and i think it relates to 
and you didn't use this word, but I think you're referencing the idea of worldview. In that, in this uh, period of the church and of humanity, a recognition of supernatural was so much more expected. Mm-hmm. People had a worldview that understood there is a supernatural realm, there are angels, there are demons. It was just normal. Right. The worldviews that are prominent in Western society are far more atheistic. Yes. Or materialistic. There. Even in the church sometimes. Like we, we're all good with with you know the the Bible and Jesus, but man, when it starts to get kind of supernatural, sometimes we can get a little uncomfortable because mm-hmm. it's just not as normative in the widespread culture, and so it's it's got a stigma to it, and people go, "Ooh, I don't want to be viewed as weird." But I think you're right. There's there is this worldview shaped culture that we live in that that doesn't need help you know, diminishing and forming idols and pursuing things that, so I think the enemy's like, oh, they're, they're they're fine. They they are just distracted and pacified as ever. And so we don't need to mess with this or make obvious. And I think too, I think strategically, because there is this dominant kind of uh, atmosphere of diminishing the supernatural in the United States that man supernatural activity of the demonic would just wake people up like a smelling salt and they'd go, Whoa, there's a lot more going on around me than I, that meets mm-hmm. the eye. And it would almost be a deterrent yeah, um, from things. Cause people would start asking questions about supernatural and the existence of angels, demons, is God real? Right. I mean, that kind of stuff. I think Satan's smart, dude. Like, I don't want to, give him more props than deserve. But if you study the Bible, when it talks about him, they're like, no, you don't take him head on. That's what God is for. Like he's, he doesn't compare to God, but he's a, a lot smarter than we are. And if you have a limited resources, cause he's not infinite, he's not, not omnipotent. So if I'm going to take down a nation and I can get them to worship the idol of money and spend their lives trying to buy stuff and they bury their face in the phone all day, and God's the farthest thing from their mind except for on Sundays, well, why waste resources there? Mm-hmm. They're already distracted. They're not, They're not. like this, the battle strategy, I think, is different in first world countries. Yeah, I think you're right. I think um, not only is he smart, but we're pretty predictable. Mm-hmm. He's he's watched humanity for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. So he's like, it's pretty simple playbook. It just takes on new, you know, forms. And in those, like having, uh, in Africa, having had some, a little bit of experience with this, there is a culture of, you know, witch doctors and, and there is this expectation of supernatural things. Right. And so they manifest themselves in much more obvious ways. Right. Whereas here, there's just a lot less of that. Yeah. Fascinating. Right. It is. It's really fascinating. <laughs> it is. And it can, it can, you can kind of pull back, you know, the curtain on some of this stuff and it, you could spend a lot of time. But I think the, the prominent point of this section of scripture is the gospel verbally preached. Yes. 
and its power and the power of the gospel preached. Notice it wasn't a showdown of magic. It wasn't right, right. Philip going, okay, I'm going to cast these things out, and Simon going, and I'll do these. You know, and there's this not this like face off. Right. It's very simple. Philip shows up with a not an arrogance, but a confidence in the authority that he has, empowered by Christ, with the message of Christ and Him crucified. So he preaches the gospel, and after he preaches, signs and wonders are done. Demons are cast out. So it's it's the gospel first. It's the message of Christ that that precedes, and the aftermath is freedom. People are set free. The captives are set free. Those that have been held under the authority of these these spirits are now set free from those, and they're now free to experience and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what proceeds. And it to the extent that it shows a domination over somebody who was considered in that culture and in that community to be pretty powerful. Yeah. And that that power was now shown to be subdued and that power then Simon himself submits to Christ mm-hmm. because of the gospel preached, not the signs done. So I'd, I would wrap it all up super nicely back to your Acts 1.8, that regardless of the culture that you're in, regardless of how readily obvious spiritual activity might be, our plan is simple too. Mm-hmm. You just preach the gospel. Yep. And whether that's from your own story and you start with, let me tell you about my life and when I met Christ and the power of, of the gospel in my life. And is if it's, if it's as simple as that, just tell your story. Uh, I think a lot of people try to overcomplicate it and say, you've got to know these three points and then you've got to move to this um, illustration and then you got to do this. But it can be as simple as telling your story. Like think back to when you first encountered Christ, and start there. Yeah, uh, and That's good. And just tell your story. That's probably what Philip's doing. Philip is probably explaining, "Here's where I was when I met Jesus, and when I met him. Yeah, and then I lived my life with him for three years, and here's what I watched and witnessed." I watched these things. I watched him. He taught me this. He said this. I watched him do this. And I watched him die. And then I, three days later, I was there in the room and he showed up. One of my buddies, Thomas, was not buying it. And he was there. He was physically, he rose from, he conquered. He's the Messiah. He's it. And he's just telling a story. So I think there's, there's more power in our story than sometimes we imagine. And sometimes our story, there's, there's, a, there's a point at which people go, well, that's good for you. Right, And so sometimes you do have to be able to unpack why should we believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ? Why is that a physical, historical event that we can have confidence in? And, and so there's, there's so many resources out there that can help you, you know, think through that. But yeah, if you want to go back and go to East Haven Baptist Church YouTube channel, Easter 2023, that was the message I preached, was how can we have confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? So whenever you're listening to this, if you want to hear some, I think some very strong support for the confidence we can have in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth who died and rose again, you can go back to um, Easter 2023, East Haven Baptist Church, YouTube.
Anyway, it's a good place to go. Yeah. Well, as we've talked about this passage in particular, your hobby horse, which I think is a good hobby horse. I'd like to say it's kind of my hobby yeah. horse too. <laughs> sort of a career. The gospel. Sort of a career path. It's <laughs> kind of my job. Um, what's the takeaway? What's for you today? What resonates or what kind of sense of priority do you have about, okay, I need to, this was a good reminder for me today. How do I go and live this out? I think it goes back to the beginning of our conversation on what life is like. Mm-hmm. We just live life. And as our lives cross paths with other people, that's our scattering. When I go to work, when I go to church, when I go to basketball games, I'm sitting in the bleachers, visiting with coaches, visiting with parents. That's the scatter. And my job is to preach the gospel while I'm there. Mm -hmm. And I, that, that doesn't mean that I, I bring my Bible and I get everyone's attention on all in one accord because that might not work real well. But the message that I communicate from my life and in those conversations should point to Christ. Amen. And it's pretty simple. That's, yeah. There's nuance to it, but those are the marching orders. Yeah, that's a good word. I think, yeah, embracing the scatter is, is an interesting concept that this was an intentional move by the Lord, mm-hmm. that he knew persecution would happen, and he was going to allow that vehicle to be the thing that took his gospel, his messengers out and to recognize that as God moves us around and he, he puts us in different um, seasons of life and different uh, extracurriculars of life and as we cross paths that just allow that this is the scatter and to be intentional mm-hmm. in that scatter. That's good. Well, uh, as Howard and I have taken and read, taken and read Taken and readed. Yeah, taken and readed. Uh, the scriptures today, if anything that we've said has provoked questions or curiosity, uh, you can always email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have a question for Howard, maybe it's about kind of setting up your own uh, intentionality around your family and uh, prioritizing relationships and people. Uh, if you have a question about that, uh, you can email me and I'll make sure that he gets that question and he can take time to respond to you. If you want to you know continue the conversation around this passage or others uh participate in the comments that's a good place for people uh, within this community of the take and read podcast to engage in conversation dialogue Uh, i want to encourage that because my goal is that a movement of people would be taking and reading the word of god encountering him in the scriptures uh, as he intends us to do and that our lives would be affected and shaped by his word so that we can be his people living out his gospel message to a very needy world. And so, uh, again, Howard and I believe this to be the very Word of God. We believe that uh, His Spirit lives in us and leads us and guides us and illuminates His Word and gives meaning uh, to everything that we do. And so I want to encourage you out there to go take and read the Word of God. Blessings. Blessings.